the teams you care about. When you think about the Patriots' needs this offseason, look for one trait, explosiveness. The stories that matter to you. I'm not convinced that Ben Shungu, that he's not the league player of the year. This is your home for New England sports. Bobby Dahlbeck playing third base this year? Now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Post-Super Bowl Monday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. And just like that, the football season's over. It's never really over because we got free agency, the draft, mini camp. We We got football stuff to talk about all year round. But just like that, the season is over. We started on this quest. Patriots reported to training camp in late July. It was like right around like July 20th. And it took us all the way, football season did, until February 13th. A great ride it was, as it always is. And we put a bow on the football season with the Super Bowl recap and some other things here tonight. We've got 90 minutes, all 90 minutes at our disposal today, right up until 7 o'clock. And it's a special day today. Not only is it Valentine's Day here on the Brady Farkas Show, it's a guestless Monday. After all the guests we had last week on Radio Row at Home and all the content we acquired from guests today, it's just me and all of you for all 90 minutes. That's like only like the fourth or fifth time we've ever gone with a guestless day here on the Brady Farkas Show. But we're doing it today. A ton of stuff to get to. Super Bowl, some thoughts on the Patriots as we head into the offseason, and UVM hoops, which I'm pretty hot on, uh, something that happened on Saturday night in their win over you, Albany. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And you can also check out our Facebook Live live stream as well. You can watch the show now for free on Facebook Live on the WDEV page. So everybody, let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, they're online at sticksandstuff.com. I thought the Super Bowl was a fun game to watch. I thought that was a fun game to watch, simply put. What did you think? 802-585-3026. Look, it wasn't the best game that's ever been played. It wasn't the best game that I watched this postseason. It had great moments. It also had lulls in the action. But overall, I thought last night was a good bow on the NFL season. Last night had a little bit of everything that I want as a fan, especially as a fan of, you know, as an impartial fan, right? Like, I didn't care who won. I didn't have a dog in the fight last night. So the elements I look for in a game that I'm watching purely for entertainment purposes... That game had. There were lead changes. There was changes in momentum. There were comebacks. There was doubt. The game hung in the balance at points. There was constant uncertainty. There was some controversy on the officiating side of things. Stars were doing star things. Good story at the end in terms of Stafford and Aaron Donald winning championships. You know, after long careers, Stafford especially. Yesterday had all the ingredients to me of a fun game. So, A wild season in the NFL came to an end last night, and I really did think that it was a good way to end it. And let's not underestimate 
that just let's not undersell rather just how important it was that the game was close last night was the first Super Bowl game to be decided by three points or less since 2013. Think about that. Last night's game, 23 to 20 Rams win, was the closest Super Bowl we've had in nearly a decade. Now, we've had better Super Bowls like Patriots-Falcons 34-28 in overtime. Now, that was a better game. It ended up with a six-point differential. But having the game close, I thought, was a huge thing. I I thought that was absolutely huge. There was, again, unpredictability. There was lead changes. There was momentum changes. I I thought yesterday was great. 802-585-3026. Joe says, great game. It is crazy how quick... The NFL season is. Tim says he's out in Los Angeles and the vibe is real. Well, Tim, what are you doing in L.A.? And there, it's only 2.30 in the afternoon there, so you must be really dedicated to the Brady Farkas show to be checking us out on a Monday at 2.30 in the afternoon. As for the game, I do have some general takeaways. Again, not as intense or as minute as we do when we do Patriots games. But for the last time this year, we get some NFL takeaways in. So for the last time, people, cue the NFL primetime music. Oh, I'm going to miss this. I am going to miss the NFL primetime music. That's going to be one major uh, flaw of the offseason. we got to find a way to get the NFL primetime music somehow into our offseason plan. So we'll figure it out. But all right. Takeaway number one, it was fascinating to me last night to watch two teams with completely different paths play in the Super Bowl. We always talk about team building and roster construction, and we talk about what's the best way to build a roster. Well, both methods were on display last night. You had the Rams who say, screw the draft and screw the salary cap. They took chances, they swung big, and they played with humongous risk in doing what they did, right? So you had that in one corner. And then in the other corner, you had the Bengals, who built almost entirely through the draft, prudent free agent signings, and both methods worked. Both methods worked. And I thought that was one of the more fascinating angles to last night's game. Look, I think the Bengals' way of doing business is more sustainable. I think it's more proven But the Rams' way clearly can work. And we saw both on display yesterday. It was a great kind of duality here. You look at the Rams. A lot of their key figures, several not homegrown players. Matthew Stafford, Sony Michelle, Odell Beckham, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, their kicker Matt Gay. Like We focus so much on drafting and developing. And the Rams have that. Make no mistake, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, they're homegrown guys. But we focus so much on building a core of young homegrown players, and the Rams blew that out of the water. They blew that philosophy out of the water. And that was interesting. And then on the other hand, you have the Bengals. Look at their core. They're all homegrown. Burrow, Chase, Boyd, Higgins, Mixon. They're all homegrown. They all came via the draft. So, again, I do believe there's a better and more preferred way to build a team and to me that is the Bengals way but on the field last night in LA we saw both processes at play both processes yielded a Super Bowl team and in the Rams case the one that I don't agree with 
yielded a Super Bowl win. I thought it was very, very interesting. Takeaway number two. I feel really bad for Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. reportedly has torn an ACL. That comes from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. It's not confirmed, but it's looking that way. I feel really bad for OBJ because he's a guy who hasn't always elicited sympathy from people, but last night was his moment, and he was living it, and then it was taken from him. And not only did it affect last night, because it's a torn ACL, He's a free agent. It's going to impact his future. It's going to impact his playing time, his ability moving forward, and it's going to impact his wallet. Last night, I walked away feeling really, really bad for OBJ. He had set himself up for this nice redemption arc. He had set himself up for a nice contract in free agency, and now the knee is going to take him off the field until at least October of next year. It's going to massively impact his money. I'd have to imagine he's in line for some kind of prove-it deal or some kind of bargain deal now rather than a three- or four-year deal where he gets paid a bunch of money. I mean, yesterday, he looked fast. He looked athletic. He scored the game's first touchdown, gave the Rams the lead, and now we don't know exactly what he's going to be. Per game during the regular season. Third and three. Stafford. And, you know, we just don't know now what's going to happen. So I'm glad that OBJ got the ring. And he was a part of it. He had two catches, 52 yards. He had that touchdown. He's absolutely a part of the Rams' performance last night. But he missed the chance to really cement his comeback arc. He really finished his redemption arc the right way. And now his future is impacted as well. Number three on the takeaways. The Rams only rushed for 43 yards. 43 yards. They had 23 carries for 43 yards. Remarkably ineffective in the run game. And the analytics people have been telling us for years now that running the football is a waste of time. And I've never wanted to believe it. I always believed that running the football is important. But last night, it wasn't. Last night, it was a liability for the Rams. The Rams won because of their ability to rush the passer and their ability to throw the football. I hate the idea of the running game becoming obsolete, but, or obsolete, but last night showed you you don't necessarily, at least on a single-game basis, have to be able to run the football to win games or to, to have effective offense. This is what the analytics people have been telling us for years. I don't want them to be right. Last night, the Rams won a Super Bowl without being able to run the football. And finally, well, hold on, let's take a text here. Uh... Phil says, all right, well, Phil's kind of getting to my next point. Uh, Virginia says that Tim out in L.A. must have started drinking early to be listening to us at 2.30 in the afternoon. So, all right, number four. Let's just, let's just get to the officials. That's what everybody wants to do today. Everybody wants to rip the officials. I say this every single time that this happens. Every single time that this happens. The officials last night were part of the story. They were not the whole story. I will say this. I believe that multiple bad calls happened in that game last night that hurt the Cincinnati Bengals. Aaron Donald lined up offsides on a short yardage play. I think it was a fourth down. Didn't get called. The holding at the goal line wasn't a hold, in my opinion. 
on that same play, the whole Rams offensive line false started. That play never should have happened. So there were several critical calls that went against the Bengals. I believe the Bengals got screwed in those moments, but I will I will violently or vehemently rather stop short of saying that those calls cost the Bengals the game. Every time there's controversy, every time there's controversy, I say the same thing. Before you want to go and blame the rest for your loss, please look in the mirror and check your facts. Let's examine this. The 75-yard touchdown pass from Joe Burrow to T. Higgins that gave the Bengals the lead right at the start of the third quarter was clearly offensive pass interference. T. Higgins threw Jalen Ramsey to the ground and grabbed him by the face mask. So if you want to rip the refs, understand the refs gave you one there. The best corner in the game gets beat for a 75-yard touchdown pass, and T. Higgins throws him to the ground, and no call is made. The Bengals were plus one there. Very, very important call. They got screwed on a few, but they got one as well. Two, the referees, the officials, are not the reason the Bengals allowed seven sacks and couldn't protect Joe Burrow at all in the second half. Before you complain about the refs, let's understand the offensive line was horrific. We knew it was a mismatch. We talked about it all last week that it was going to be a mismatch. We asked multiple insiders, how can you overcome this mismatch? And the Bengals in the second half couldn't. So the Bengals had chances to win this game outright. They had chances to salt this game away. They had chances at the end to come back. They couldn't do it because their line couldn't protect. That doesn't fall on the referees. Number three. I don't know what Zach Taylor is doing in the first quarter. Maybe he's trying to be aggressive. Maybe he's trying to send a message. But going forward on fourth and one at midfield and then not getting it, that was a huge problem. We spent all year talking about aggressive coaches and going forward on fourth down and should you do this or should you do that. Yesterday's an example of why you don't. If that's a regular season game in week eight against Jacksonville, go for t- or go for the go for it on fourth down. In the Super Bowl, at midfield, with that offense on the other side, I'd punt the football, try to pin them inside the five, and play a field possession game, and they didn't do it. That doesn't fall on the referees. Zach Taylor going for it cost them seven points as far as I'm concerned. That's not an official's problem. And then four, it's not the ref's fault that Joe Mixon inexplicably was not out there for multiple third and fourth down plays. Third and fourth and short, multiple times, Joe Mixon's not on the field. Solomon Wilcox, former Bengals defensive back, was with us last week and told me, the Bengals offense runs through Joe Mixon, and Zach Taylor believes that. So if Zach Taylor believed that, where was Joe Mixon? Multiple third and fourth and shorts, and Mixon's not out there. That's not an official's problem. And then, the officials didn't put inexplicably Eli Apple one-on-one with Cooper Cup in the fourth quarter late. How the hell does that happen? So, the referees had bad calls. The Bengals got gypped on a few of those bad calls. But before you tell me that the refs gifted the Rams the game, look at everything I just told you and think about that statement. Poor play calling, poor use of personnel by the Bengals. Uh, I mean, poor matchups there on defense. And then, you know, understand that you also got a call that you didn't deserve to get. So the refs are part of the story. 
They are not the entire story. Phil in Berlin says, how can coaches call these plays? I had no no horse in this race either, but Bengal fans must be beside themselves. Oh, and number, number five, kind of takeaway number five. I'm not afraid to admit this. I am Scrooge when it comes to Super Bowl commercials. I could not care less. You know what the commercials are to me? Bathroom break time. Let's run and go get some more chips and dip. Let me go fill my plate. I didn't even watch most of the commercials because I was up doing other things. When the Super Bowl is on, I am here for the game. That's it. I am here for the game. So if you're there for the commercials or you enjoy the commercials, that's fine. You do you. But don't ever expect me for as long as I'm doing this show here. Do not ever expect me to come in on Super Bowl Monday and rank commercials. It's never going to happen. Unless my bosses tell me that you must do this, I will never do that. I couldn't tell you what almost any of them are. The QR code commercial broke the Coinbase uh, website. That's all I gathered from the commercials. Other than that, I was too busy filling up my plate and grabbing a drink. That's it. That's all I was doing. So if you are interested in the commercials, that's great, but I'm not. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. I feel bad saying that. Like, I feel very, very old manish, get off my lawn guy. Like, I know a lot of people enjoy the commercials. I know a lot of people go to the Super Bowl, you know, watch the Super Bowl explicitly for the commercials. That's not me. It's never been me. I mean, there was, you know, a long time ago, the was up. That's like 20 years old at this point. That was a good Super Bowl commercial. The, uh, what is it? The the Rams guy. Oh, I can't remember the player now. Defensive guy with the kid with the Pepsi. That was a good one. Oh, Mean Joe Green. Yeah, that was a good Super Bowl commercial. The Clydesdales playing football, doing instant replay. Like there are good Super Bowl commercials. I remember Danica Patrick and Go Daddy. But like I'm not I'm not going to the game for the commercial. And I don't remember now after the fact, you know what the commercials were. I, again, I was too busy getting food. So uh, let's see what else is going on here. Joe says the Bengals should have their heads held high. Great turnaround after being six and twenty-four the last two years. Yes, it was it was awesome. I mean, an unbelievable turnaround for the Bengals. Unbelievable. Um, one of the greatest turnarounds in sports history. I mean, we do see worst to first in divisions, but worst to almost champion. That's pretty tough. Red Sox did it right in the finish. In last in 2012, and then in 13, when the World Series was 12, they lost Bobby uh, Valentine year here. So I'd have to go and check my research on that. But David Montpelier, it was the rare Super Bowl where the halftime show outclassed the game. I usually don't care about the halftime show either. I generally have the same feeling about the halftime show as I do about the uh, about the halftime shows. I do the commercials, but last night I was into the halftime show. I watched it. I sang along to it. It's all artists that I grew up listening to. I get why someone that's 20 didn't care for it. I get why somebody that's 14 didn't care for it. I also get why somebody who's 65 didn't care for it. It was in my wheelhouse. I enjoyed it. But here's the other thing. I could just go on YouTube and watch those artists perform live. Maybe not all together, but I can go see all of their live works on YouTube now. So if I really want to see those songs played by those artists... I can go find him pretty easily. I guess the cool part was that Snoop, Dre, and um, Eminem were together. Kendrick Lamar was oddly out of place. Not only was his song one that I haven't heard of, actually, and I know Kendrick Lamar's music. I don't know that song. 
he was out of place as far as I'm concerned. I wasn't quite sure exactly where he fit in to this whole thing. So, all right. Brady Farkas show here on WDEV. Last night proved what the Patriots need to be looking for this offseason. The Super Bowl proved what the Pats need to be looking for this offseason. I'll tell you what that is next on DEV. 26. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this post-Super Bowl Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. No guests today. Just me and you, all 90 minutes. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line is open, as is the Facebook live chat. Last night's game proved one very valuable point to me. When we think about the Patriots and how they can get back to a Super Bowl themselves, last night proved to me the Patriots need to be looking for one trait this offseason in players, and that one trait is explosiveness. That is the thing the Patriots need to be targeting and uncovering every single rock to find. If we talk about free agent targets, free agent signings, draft prospects, and draft picks when once they happen, we need to ask ourselves the question, is this player explosive? Because in today's NFL, that is what you need. That is what you need. The New England Patriots are a very smart franchise. They're a very technique-based organization. They're very methodical. And those are all qualities that can help you win. But if you are looking to win it all, you need to be explosive. Explosive makes a lot of plays. And explosives cover up a lot of mistakes. And last night was the perfect encapsulation of that. Here's case in point. The Bengals were only in that game because of their ability to be explosive. The Rams, we knew it all week. We said it last week. We predicted it. The Rams were the better team. They had the better coach, the better defense, more experience, and more stars, and they were playing at home. We knew, we thought the Rams were going to win. The Bengals were only in it because of their ability to be explosive. You had the Jamar Chase big catch over Ramsey, and you had the T. Higgins questionable touchdown on Ramsey. That right there, those two plays, led you to 10 points. That's it. All the things the Rams or all the things the Bengals did wrong, all the things they did poorly, they were still able to be in the game with a chance to win because of those two plays. Athleticism, big playability, that's what kept the Bengals in the game last night. The Patriots need it. Look at the Rams. They did a ton wrong in that game, right? But they won. Why? Explosiveness and physical athleticism, physical traits. Aaron Donald changed the game. What, eight pressures, multiple sacks? He was just powerful. He's just different. I'm not stupid enough to say that the Patriots can find someone exactly like Aaron Donald. He may be the best defensive player in the history of the league. I'm not dumb enough to say that. But if you want to control a game, take a game over, and change a game, you need players who are powerful and who are explosive, and the Patriots just don't have them right now. And they don't have enough of them. The Rams couldn't run the ball yesterday. They turned it over twice. They mishandled a snap on an extra point. They shouldn't have been able to win, but they did. Why? Power, athleticism, and oh yeah, the best receiver in the league. Star athletes, star power, making unreal plays. 
explosiveness can cover up for a lot. And the Patriots just don't have it. The Patriots have to go 14 plays, 85 yards, and mosey on down the field. And again, it can work. I'm not telling you that it can't. But if you're going to win that way, you have to be nearly perfect. And that's hard to be consistently in the NFL. Think about this. This is the analogy to me that I think sums up my point perfectly. Think about it like a baseball pitcher. A pitcher who throws 88 miles an hour, that's his fastball. A pitcher who throws 88 miles an hour, that pitcher can be really, really good. That pitcher can be great. But in order to be great, they've got to change speeds. They've got to get ahead in the count. They've got to work the corner. The defense has to make all the plays behind them. The minute that that stuff changes, the the blank hits the fan. The 88-mile-an-hour pitcher can be excellent. But when things aren't perfect... Things get screwy. Juxtapose that with a 98-mile-an-hour pitcher. That guy gets away with a lot more stuff. He might walk the leadoff guy. He might get behind. He might throw into the backstop. But you know what? He's got the ability to bear down and just blow the ball past you three times to get out of an inning. That power can cover up for a lot. The 88-mile-an-hour pitcher, he can be great, but he's got to be perfect. He's got to go with a fine-tooth comb. The 98-mile-an-hour guy, he's a little rougher around the edges. He can be, he can frustrate the hell out of you, but his power alone can get him out of any jam. It can cover up for any jam. The Patriots right now, they're the pitcher who throws 88. Work the changeup, hit the corner, curveball away, backdoor slider, confuse the hell out of you, ground ball to shortstop, next one lazy fly ball to center. That's the Patriots. They could throw a complete game shutout. They absolutely can. They could also be out after two and a third. The 98-mile-an-hour pitcher, he's got a chance to, you know, hey, he, he walked five guys. But at the end of the day, he struck out nine, and he gave us five good, really good innings and turned it over to the bullpen. The Patriots need more guys that can help do that. The, the, the Bengals with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, they have erasers. The Rams, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, they have erasers. They can fix mistakes. The Patriots don't have erasers. The Patriots have a lot of really good, smart players. Do you remember what Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio told us last week? You can't just out-scheme people with 6th and 7th round draft choice and hope they play above their draft rate more than ever before. And I said this a couple of years ago. Bill Belichick and that organization, they got to go out and get some dudes on both sides of the ball because if they're just scheming and being smarter than everybody else, you can only do that for so long more than ever before in modern football or the National Football League. You've got to get dudes, and those dudes have explosiveness as one of their main traits. So as we go through free agency kicks off here in a couple of weeks, as we go through free agent targets, as we go through draft targets, as you look at mock drafts on your own, look for that word, explosive. Look for that word, powerful. That's what the Patriots need. It's not enough anymore to just be a chess player. You've got to be able to run past people and bowl people over. If you want to control a game in the way the Rams did yesterday, if you want to be in a game that you don't belong being in in the way the Bengals were yesterday, you need guys with those traits. And that's what the Pats need to do. 
this offseason. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I've got a great text that I want to get to from Rick in Hinesburg. And then, did you see what happened at the UVM game on Saturday? If you didn't, I'll tell you about it, and you're going to be as mad as I am. That's next on DEV. Sting on to the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to get to this UVM basketball story in a few minutes. i got to answer the text message from Rick here in Hinesburg who asked a good question. i got to say, though, I'm blown away by what I have heard today. I am blown away by what I've heard today. I just had the third person. There's somebody milling around the studio here. I want no names. No names. The third person of the day tell me they didn't watch one second of the Super Bowl. They didn't watch one second of it. Hey, to each their own. I'm not judging him or her or anybody else who's told me that. I'm just shocked. All I ever hear about is how Super Bowl, you can pay $7 million for a Super Bowl ad because everybody's going to see it. Well, not everybody in Vermont is seeing it, apparently. Mike Doherty at VT Digger didn't watch one second. That's fine. Roger Hill didn't watch one second. That's fine, too. This person didn't watch one second. I'm just confused. I thought everybody watched. Do I live in such a am I am I such a one-dimensional sports-only person that I can't see that there are other interests out there? I'm starting to get a little worried about myself. I'm so I'm so wrapped up in my sports-specific bubble that I didn't I didn't even think TV was on yesterday except for I didn't think that anything was on yesterday except for the Super Bowl. I just figured I could turn on any other channel and they just all be black. Super Bowl's it. That's it. I thought restaurants would shut down. I thought that things would be closed. No stores would be open. I thought everybody was watching the Super Bowl. But that's three people today that have told me they didn't. And I had somebody else tell me I went to bed in the fourth quarter. You went to bed in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl of a game that was close? What are we doing here, people? What are we doing? I... I, I mean, really, apparently there are other things to life other than sports, and I I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. Um, somebody tells me nice hairdo. Ouch. Those are watching on Facebook Live. Yeah, I need a hat. I have hat hair. So I could wear my snow hat, but that doesn't seem as good. So uh, Sam says, people choosing to miss the biggest game of the year? What? I'm with you. Sam, maybe we're not deep enough as people. Maybe we're not deep enough as people because evidently there were other things to do. I actually had two people tell me they went to bed. I'm like, yeah, did you make it to the end of the game? They're like, no. The Super Bowl ends early. That's the thing, too. Sunday night football during the regular season ends at like midnight. I could give you that. You don't want to you want to go to bed at 1130 and not see the fourth quarter of, a, of a New Orleans and Tampa? That's one thing. The Super Bowl starts at 630. The game ended yesterday at 1001. I, I'm just, hey, to each their own. It's okay. You don't have to watch the Super Bowl. But I'm just amazed at how many people have told me they didn't watch. And they don't even feel bad about it. I have very bad FOMO. I don't know if you've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. I have very bad FOMO. If I didn't watch the Super Bowl and I couldn't, and I, I was that person that went into work the next day and hadn't seen it, I would be like, I, I, I'd be hiding in the corner. I wouldn't know what to do. Like, I'll force myself into things I have no interest in just so I can say I saw it. 
I hope that person that's milling around the studio that said that, I hope they're not listening and are mad at me. I'm not, I promise you, person, I'm not ripping you. It's a little bit of a therapy session for me. Maybe I need to unpeel the, uh, the, unpeel the onion here and learn something more about myself and realize there's more to life than sports. I don't know. But I'm second-guessing things about myself here. I just I don't understand it. People on uh, Facebook Live, am I, am I in the wrong here? Should I be less surprised? Do you know people that also weren't watching the Super Bowl? But that's three people today. That's three people today that have told me they didn't watch. I, I didn't know those people were out there. When Roger Hill told me he didn't watch one minute of it, that's what really surprised me. I've turned Roger into a sports fan, or I've brought out the sports fan in him. I'm like, Roger, what was going on last night? I mean, my goodness. Unless you're Van Jefferson's wife, who is having a baby, then I would say... I, I would thought everybody was watching. So here we go. Okay. People don't watch the Super Bowl. All right. Rick and Hinesburg. Before I go off on the UAlbany basketball broadcaster, let me answer Rick's question. Rick says, Brady, you're talking about the Patriots needing explosive players, but with so few dollars, how do you uh, – how do you – let's see. I'm trying to read this here. How do you plan for them to get these explosive players? Rick, it's a great question. The Patriots have to draft well. The Patriots have to draft well. I told you at the beginning of the show, I think of the ways to build a team, I think the draft and develop model is better and more sustainable. But you need to do it effectively. I want to see the Patriots make their pick at number 21. And I want to see them pick somebody with superstar traits. Like, I don't want to see the Patriots trade back four times. I don't want to trade picks for the future. I... I want them to make their picks, and I want them to get potential game wreckers or potential game breakers. A wide receiver that can stretch the field vertically. A running back that can make plays in space in the back out of the backfield. A linebacker who can cover sideline to sideline. I want all of those things, and i got to find them in the draft. You can They can spend money. They can get, get a good player or two in free agency. But if you want to be consistently good and get young and athletic and physical then you gotta do it through the draft you've gotta draft well the Patriots need a lot of things they can't buy a lot of things they can draft a lot of things uh, more on the Super Bowl talk we get another one that says uh, <laughs> someone says uh, I play so I play football every Sunday morning I played most football most Sundays of this season 18 weeks of the season a couple playoff games probably so it's probably like 23 eligible games I probably played 15 so says uh one of the guys who I play with says not watching the Super Bowl is like saying let's not play football the morning of the Super Bowl well we did we played in negative it was like zero degrees yesterday and we were out there playing so uh we get somebody on the Facebook live group that says the Pats will trade back like most of the time but I agree they should draft they need to but they just they need to draft well. I mean that's that's what it comes down to. They drafted in the first round twice in whatever year that was, and they took Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle, and then they drafted once and took Nikhil Harry. And I would argue that you know two of three of those didn't work out the way you would have wanted to. Wynn is good, but he's not all around here. Uh, he's not always available. Phil and Middlesex. I didn't watch the game. Phil rips me more than anybody on the text line. Phil in Middlesex, uh, he he just rips me more than anybody. And if Phil doesn't watch the Super Bowl, Phil, you have lost all right to rip me. That That's how I feel. 
your rip card has been taken. If you're not going to be able, to, if you don't watch the Super Bowl, unless you have a valid reason, hope everyone was okay. If you don't watch the Super Bowl, you've lost the ability to rip me. Someone else. Now we got texters talking to each other. Rick wants to know how to get explosive players. Another guy says basic attributes need to be addressed in the draft. Free agency supplements the traits. Oh, that's future GM Sam right there getting on there. So, yeah, draft well. All right. This story I'm hot on. 802. 585-3026. You Albany men's basketball broadcaster Charlie Volker was completely out of line on Saturday night. Completely out of line on Saturday night. Did you all see this on social media? Did you hear this? So the U Albany game against UVM, UVM won it by the way, 76-63, moved to 12 and 0 inside conference play. That game was on ESPN 3, like all the UVM games are for the most part. It was done by U Albany's broadcast team, of which Charlie Volker is the color commentator for. In the in the first half, the game was physical. I would say it got chippy as well. That's probably the, the, the best adjective for it, chippy. So maybe there's two minutes left in the game. Evan Guillory for UVM goes to the basket, and he's trying to ward off the U Albany defender on his way to the basket. So he kind of had his elbow out, trying to you know use it as a shield so he could get the shot up cleanly. So he's kind of chicken-winged the UAlbany defender. Well, the UAlbany defender gets called for a foul, plays through the whistle, and then kind of wrestles Guillory to the ground. I didn't think much of the play either way. I had no problem with Guillory, who I think is just trying to create a lane for him to get a shot off. And I really didn't have any problem with what the defender did. I've been in that situation and done that a million times. You, you get called for the foul. You're trying to be tough. You play through the whistle. You wrestle the guy to the ground. You know, looked like a tough, hard-nosed play inside conference play. I didn't make much of it. But the refs go to look at the play, and they want to see if anything nefarious happened. The UAlbany broadcast team shows the replay, and the broadcaster, Charlie Volker, goes, Oh, he had his elbow in his neck. I'd have thrown him down, too. I had a huge problem with that. And I want to know if I am overreacting. 802-585-3026. Am I overreacting? The UAlbany broadcaster says, Oh, he had his elbow in his neck. I'd have thrown him down too. I think it's one thing for me to say right now that the play in its entirety didn't bother me. I wasn't bothered by what Guillory did in going to the basket. And I wasn't bothered by what the UAlbany player did either. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've made that same play 9,000 times in my life. I did have a problem with a broadcaster who is an adult and a professional and has been doing it for a long time to be live on the air and basically advocating for retaliation against a college player. Charlie Volker is like 65 years old, and he's advocating for retaliation against a 20-year-old I found it completely inappropriate. I found it offensive. Like, I don't care if your broadcast is a homer broadcast. If you think UVM can do no right and you Albany can do no wrong, that really doesn't bother me. But it bothers me when you advocate for retaliation on college kids. That's not right. And what what bothers me even more is that I know Charlie Volker. I worked at UAlbany for two years, and Charlie Volker was my boss. And I generally liked Charlie Volker. That comment on Saturday night was completely wrong. 
as far as I'm concerned. If I'm making too big a deal out of it, please tell me. 802-585-3026. Let me know on Facebook Live on the comments section what you think here. Um, I just... I just don't... Um, I'm trying to catch up on the Facebook Live comments. I'll get to some of you here momentarily, I promise. But I, I just... I did not have any time for that comment. It really bothered me. And based on what I saw on social media, a lot of Vermont fans were bothered by it as well. And I haven't talked to Charlie Volker in a number of years. I'm not going to call him about this now. If he hears this segment, I'd be happy to have him on the show and tell him, you know, and tell him on this show. But uh, I just was completely, I was taken aback by it, really. I, I did not think it was appropriate. I did not think that that was the forum, and, and I'm happy that Guillory wasn't injured as a result of the play, and I'm happy that the Albany player wasn't hurt, and on we should have just gone. But instead, it turned into, on the air, something way more than it should have. As for the game itself, Saturday night was another great win for UVM. Now, they're going to play at Hartford tonight, about 45 minutes from now, at Hartford. So uh, UVM is 12-0 inside league play. They're 20-4 overall in the season. And that Saturday game was so impressive because they won it without Ryan Davis. I mean, what more can you say? UVM went on the road without the reigning conference player of the year and won by double digits. No one else in the league could say that. Go on the road without their best player and win by double figures. I don't believe anybody could do that. Maybe, maybe if you were playing Maine or something, but that's it. You go on the road without the reigning player of the year, and you win by double figures. No one else is doing that. It's a great win by UVM. 18 points from Ben Shungu, 15 from Finn Sullivan, who stepped back up, 13 from Robin Duncan. The ability for different guys to step up on different days and just contribute is pretty remarkable. I've said it all year. Stars need to be stars for UVM, and stars have been stars. But you've also got to get contributions from others. And Finn Sullivan's been that guy. And Aaron Deloney's been that guy. And Isaiah Powell has been that guy. And Robin Duncan has been that guy. There's just answers at most turns for this team. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they're going to the Sweet 16. I don't know that they'll win one tournament game if they get there. I think they have the ingredients to do that. And I, I would feel confidently that if they get to a 13 seed or better, that they would have a really good chance to pull an upset. But... It's just uh, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing what UVM is doing. And again, they look for 13-0 tonight. They're 20-4. and For as good as UVM has been over the last several years, they've never been 20-4. and So you think about how consistent this program has been. This is the best that they have been record-wise ever. Ever. I told you, I'm not into comparing teams like... Could they beat the 0405 Coppenrath Sorrentine team? I don't know. Could they beat the team that went 16 0 in league play a few years ago with Anthony Lamb and Trey Bell Haynes? I don't know. I don't care. I know that, but record wise, right now, they're doing something that has never been done. And oh, by the way, they're shooting 56% from the floor inside league play. 56% from the floor. We don't know if Ryan Davis is going to play today. It's still a game time decision. Back spasms was the reported issue. On Saturday night, we'll see if he plays. Remember, he missed a game earlier in the year, too. He missed that Northern Iowa game, that opener for the season. Uh, I, be- I believe with a non-COVID illness. And he came back and played against Maryland. It wasn't really 100%. Bunch of other people here on the text line. So, 
One text says, I fell asleep in the mid uh, middle of the third quarter. I worked and I was exhausted. Okay. Tammy says, I don't have television access on a fixed income, and there was no radio alternative this year. I did follow the game uh, on the internet, but there were multiple reasons one might not watch in addition to disinterest. That's fair. That's very fair. And then my answer to that would have been in the past, well, there, you know, go to a bar, Super Bowl party. That would have been my answer in the past, but in COVID times, I understand my, why, why you may not want to or feel comfortable doing that. It's also everything's expensive now. Going to a bar could be quite costly on Super Bowl Sunday. So I get it. I'm just, And I said, I'm not judging people that don't watch the Super Bowl. I just didn't know that people didn't really watch. I, I mean, all I hear is, you know, 100 million people are going to watch the Super Bowl. I, you know, hey, that leaves a lot of people that aren't. But I just kind of assumed everybody was. So I also assume everybody's watching the Olympics. And I find out that a lot of people are not watching the Olympics. So I'm, I'm just, maybe, again, maybe it's a me problem. I'm just very much in my sports-specific bubble here. Uh, Rich in Starksboro. My wife and I watched the Super Bowl. We turned on the Yahoo Sports app on my iPad when there was a minute 47 left in the fourth quarter. I chose a time when I was hoping the game was near the end. Then we turned it off about 39 seconds left in the fourth quarter after the Bengals lost the possession. The outcome then was a done deal. This is my favorite moment to watch an NFL game. So, Rich, are you telling me that you don't watch – a game in its entirety, you just pick at the end and hope that it's close. And if it is, you watch the last two minutes or so. Because if so, that's a very interesting watching strategy. It's like the NFL red zone, but only at the very end of the game. So I'd be very interested more about your viewing habits. So, all right. We do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. You just got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month. If you want a free car wash, the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So if you want to be in the club, unlimited car washes, 20 bucks a month, free car wash, one time, text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. You know, one of the more amazing things that came out of this Bengals run to the Super Bowl is the question about teams' timelines, okay? The Bengals were picking first in the draft just two years ago, and now, as a result, people are saying, see, there's no excuse for your franchise to not be good quickly. If the Bengals can do it, you can do it too. So my question is, do you now expect immediate success from your team? Do you think that there is no reason your team cannot turn it around like the Bengals did? Well, I spoke with former Bengals Solomon Wilcots on Friday, and he said the Bengals are the outlier, not the norm. Yeah, I, I think in, I think you can look at it both ways. I think it's more of an outlier because a guy like Joe Burrow isn't always there when you draft with the first overall selection. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be really good, but to expect him next year, right, to do this yeah. with Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that'd be um, outside of reality, to be honest with you. I agree with Solomon. And Freddie Coleman told us last week that there's no such thing anymore as a three-year plan or a five-year plan in the NFL. 
I disagree. I think the Bengals are the outlier. And a couple of things went really well for them in order to execute this quick turnaround. This is not... This is not um, repeatable for a lot of franchises. Look at it this way. One, the Bengals got the quarterback. You don't always get the quarterback, right? And you're not always picking number one to get the quarterback. I mean, the, the Dolphins were picking sixth and got Tua, and we're not sure if he's the guy. And the Jets were picking second, and they got Zach Wilson, and we're not sure if he's the guy. So you have to get the quarterback right. And we don't know if all these teams get the quarterback right. So you get Burrow, that's one. Two, the Bengals had already made sufficient additions on offense. So when Burrow came in, he was playing with a veteran group for the most part. Joe Mixon's a veteran. Tyler Boyd was a veteran. T. Higgins was a veteran. So there were a number of those offensive weapons that were already in their prime and acclimated. A lot of these teams that are really bad, They've, the rosters have been gutted. So you're looking not only for the quarterback, you're looking for everything else. The Bengals had everything, well, had a lot of everything else, right? They had the the firepower offensively. They throw in Jamar Chase this year, and they're good to go. Now they need to go and work on the offensive line, but they had already been building. When I look at the Jets, they don't have a Joe Mixon already there. They don't have a Tyler Boyd or a T. Higgins. When I look at Jacksonville, they didn't have that stuff. So... This notion that you can all just do what the Bengals did and get good quickly, I know. I do not buy that. And then three, the Bengals, I would say there was an element of luck that their division decided to you know, pee down its leg all at the same time. Cleveland Browns had the best roster in this – the Cleveland Browns have the best roster in this division. And Baker Mayfield's hurt. And the OBJ stuff happens. And Nick Chubb – is out for a couple of games, and Kareem Hunt is out for a couple of games, and the team goes through a COVID outbreak. So the Browns, I look, they're the Browns. It could happen again with them next year, but the Browns should have been better than they were. The Bengals caught the Browns at a good time. The Ravens lost Lamar Jackson for a number of games this year with that ankle injury. Now, the Bengals did beat the Ravens twice, but... The Ravens undoubtedly lost games that they probably should have won. And there was the coaching decisions there from John Harbaugh to go for two all those times they didn't get. Like, if the Ravens don't do that stuff and Jackson stays healthy, maybe the Ravens are winning the division. And the Steelers, Big Ben, he was at the end. So Joe Burrow inherited a good offensive situation and this year got a fortunate division situation. That is not repeatable for everybody. Message on the... Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line says there's so many variables to this. The biggest thing to me is the GM and head coach continuity and a shared vision. And that's a smart point as well. The other, I mean, a lot of times you take over these teams and there is a, you know, they are a complete dumpster fire. And again, they're starting from zero. Now, Joe Burrow came into a bad situation, but there was enough pieces there. He wasn't starting from complete zero. He wasn't starting from complete zero. A lot of these other teams are. Is it fair to hold the Patriots to this standard and say that, hey, the Bengals got really good quickly. You should be able to. I would say that's fair. The Patriots are light years ahead of where other teams who rebuild are. And I don't think the Pats were ever really rebuilding, but they're light years ahead of the Jaguars and the Jets. I think it is fair next year 
to demand that the Patriots, you know, get closer to the Super Bowl than they got this year. I still believe in the idea of a three-year or five-year plan, but I think it ultimately depends on where you're starting from. The Patriots were never at rock bottom in the way that some of these other teams were. So, um, all right, a couple other uh, messages here. One to get to. Uh, Thomas says, no, Brady, you were not overreacting with the Albany broadcaster. It was unprofessional. Completely agree. I'm, saying I'm disappointed because I know that broadcaster. And his partner, who didn't say anything either about it, was I, I produced his radio show back at my old station. So, like, I know these guys. And I'm disappointed to hear that sentiment come from one and the other not stop it. So I, I was rubbed the wrong way about that. UVM will take on Hartford tonight about a half an hour from now. All right. When we come back, Odell Beckham Jr. tears his ACL reportedly. If you were the Patriots, would you look at signing OBJ? That's next right here on DEV. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. This might be the most active text line we've ever had. The text line is hopping right now. Facebook Live is hopping right now. Rich in Starksboro says, Yes, Brady, for a game I have no interest in, the last few minutes of the fourth quarter is my favorite time. When Tom Brady was playing, I would tend to watch much more of a game, maybe the whole game from the beginning. Now for hockey, especially Norwich hockey, that's a different story. The entire game is much more exciting. Even when a team is behind three goals at the end of the second period, anybody can still win this year. The NEHC is a very strong conference. Yes, the NEHC is a very good conference, and I'm glad that you're so in to Norwich hockey. So uh, that is awesome. I, however, have to watch the entirety of the Super Bowl. Again, I have FOMO. So um, someone says, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here we go. OBJ to the Pats, not a chance. More dynamic players available in the draft. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe not. Let's see. Okay, not interested in him after his second torn ACL. Yeah, I, I am out on the idea of the Patriots signing Odell Beckham Jr. There, there's multiple reasons to this. I guess I will say this. There's a caveat that if the deal is the right price, then fine. Like, if it's a one-year, $3 million deal, then I'd sign Odell Beckham. Like, I, I'm not that dumb, okay? If the money worked, then I'd do it. But the odds are that the money won't work out the way you want it to. But by and large... I'm out of the Odell Beckham Jr. Patriots rumor mill. First off, OBJ, to the texter's point, is coming off. Now, this will be his second torn ACL in the same knee. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be 30 years old next season. 30 years old with two ACL surgeries. I told you in hour number one, I am looking for one trait this offseason in Patriots targets, and that one trait is explosiveness. A just about 30-year-old wide receiver coming off knee surgery, I don't know how explosive you're going to be. And at that point, I have no use for you on my roster. And I don't mean to be callous and cold, but that's the reality. I am looking for physical specimens. I am looking for athletic game breakers. And Odell Beckham Jr. 
at 30 years old coming off a second knee surgery is not going to be that. So at that point, I'm just out. Again, if the money was was so unbelievably right, then sure, i take a chance. But the Patriots are trying to get to a Super Bowl. I don't need chances. It's the same thing I told you about the Red Sox. Look, I'm not interested in, like, I wasn't interested in Justin Verlander at 40 years old off Tommy John surgery. I wasn't interested in maybes. I'm interested in sure things. And Odell Beckham Jr. is not a sure thing anymore. He may never be the player that he was. Like, the player he was yesterday before the injury, he may never be that guy again. And the odds statistically are probably that he won't be at this point. And I'm sorry for that, but that's reality. I'm trying to get to the Super Bowl again and win it. I'm trying to get receivers that can beat Tredavious White down the field for the Buffalo Bills. I'm trying to get receivers that can win me a division, can beat Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati in the playoffs. 30-year-old with two ACL surgeries, that's not the guy. That is not the guy. And then, also, OBJ is not even going to be back until October November, and then by the time he comes back, what's the plan? He has to acclimate. You've got to force the ball to him to get him comfortable. You're not sure if he can take a hit, and what if there's soreness, and what if there's a setback? It's just you're trying to shoehorn in a square peg to a round hole. I, I'm not. I don't have room for Odell Beckham Jr. Not at that. Not at. Not with these variables. If he was healthy and just a free agent target, then there there could be a real discussion about whether or not OBJ would fit with the Patriots roster. OBJ looked very good yesterday, pre-injury. Two catches, 52 yards. He looked fast, vertical. He was able to catch the touchdown pass from Stafford. There would be a real discussion about him and his spot in the marketplace if he was healthy. He's not. He's not. Look at the Patriots right now. Going into next year, I'm convinced they have three locks at receiver. They've got Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. Those three. Nikhil Harry is going to be gone. He's going to be out. Gunnar Olszewski is not really a receiver to me. Christian Wilkerson, all the other guys we saw this year, that's not going to happen. So you've got three receivers as far as I'm concerned. Myers, Aguilar, and Bourne. You need... At least two more. One has got to me for me to come at number 21 in the draft. Williams out of Alabama, Jamison Williams, uh, Mechie out of Alabama, who probably goes higher than him. But, I mean, I, I don't know all the draft names yet, but I know that wide receiver is always a deep class, and this year they're expecting to be deep. So number 21, there's going to be somebody there. There's, there's number four. And then the fifth one is who can we sign? And is it Allen Robinson? Okay, I can take a chance on my fifth wide receiver. Is it Allen Robinson in free agency? Is it somebody? I mean, it's got to be somebody. Because you look this year, Isaiah McKenzie was the fifth receiver for the Buffalo Bills. He torched you. Your fifth receiver was Gunnar Olszewski. There's a difference there. The Pats need to get to that kind of level. OBJ does not do that for them. He is too much of a wild card. He is too much of a risk. And I don't I need I, I need to be risk averse in some spots this year for the Patriots. I need to get some sure things. Some things that I know are going to work, not some things that I just hope 
are going to work. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, anybody else here on the Facebook live feed as I check in there? Uh, Joe says, how about Chris Godwin or Juju Smith-Schuster on the Patriots? Chris Godwin would be fine. Now, Chris Godwin tore his ACL also. He's coming off an injury too. However, his timeline is going to be a lot more conducive. He might be back by opening day. And I remember we had Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Godwin might be a guy who you could get on a bargain deal. And, again, for a fifth guy, then that would be fine with me. If Chris Godwin will sign a one-year, $8 million deal with me, I can take a chance on that. I can't take a chance on Odell Beckham Jr. coming back in in the middle of November and riding in to save the day. That's not going to happen. If you sign Chris Godwin and he comes out and he's not the same for the first month, I got 13 good weeks left there, 14 good weeks left. OBJ, I signed, he's ready to play in week seven, and then he's not himself, and now all of a sudden it's week 12, and I'm just kind of like, okay, the season's almost over. The Patriots need to get some miles out of who they sign. Chris Godwin might be a guy. Juju would be fine. But, again, he's not so much of an explosive player. I need explosive. But I think I can get the speed guy in the draft. Also, you know, maybe they go with the slot receiver. You know, Godwin's played a lot in the slot. You know, your traditional Edelman, Amendola, Welker guy. Well, we got all kinds of time to figure out exact guys. I just know that I want traits. And that trait I want is explosiveness, and Odell Beckham Jr. no longer fits that mold. All right, one more. No, let's see. We get a message that says, bargain deal for Godwin. No way. He'll still have a pretty high interest for a mid-length contract. Well, look, I, I don't know what Chris Godwin is going to sign for. I can tell you that we had Doug Kide of, of uh, Pro Football Focus on a couple weeks ago. Here, January 10th. Here is exactly what Doug Kai told us. Someone like Allen Robinson I do think is interesting, especially since he had kind of a down season in 2021. Uh, so I think that he's a guy who might struggle to find that top-end market. And there's some other wide receivers out there as well who could wind up being bargains. Uh, unfortunately, Michael Gallup suffered a yeah. torn ACL late in the season. He'll be a free agent. Chris Godwin suffered a knee injury late in the season. He's going to be a free agent. So those are guys that you actually don't even know at what point they will be able to get back on the field. But for a team trying to sign a free agent, you know, you might be able to get a bargain on a player like that. Okay. So, look, what's the bargain that he's talking about? I don't know. Is it a one-year prove-it deal, one-year $8 million, one-year $12 million, one-year $13 million, or is it a mid-length deal that is, look, instead of 5 for 80, is it 3 for 35? I mean, maybe you still give them the deal, but less years and lower annual value. I don't know. But there's a chance to get a guy like Godwin cheaper, and again, if he's there for just about the whole season, I'm far more willing to do that, and he's younger than OBJ. So, all right, there is one thing that I want to get back to here on UVM men's basketball because there's a comment I heard recently that has really stuck with me. I think I'm about a week out from this comment, but it's been, I've had it on my note sheet for a while, and I just, I had to bring it up. UVM beat UMass Lowell. Not this weekend, but last weekend. And the UMass Lowell broadcaster said something to the effect of, Ben Shungu's really good, man. He's the same guy he's always been. He's just he's always been good. And I thought to myself, 
that is an amazingly lazy comment. I think the broadcaster is trying to be complimentary, but it's an amazingly lazy compliment or lazy comment rather. And it does all the hard work that Ben Shungu has done a complete disservice. Ben Shungu is not at all the player that he used to be. By saying, oh, he's the same guy he's always been, you're not really watching. Ben Shungu started out as a walk-on. He started out as a redshirt, and now he may be the player of the year in this league. I am not convinced that Ben Shungu is not the player of the year in this league. So there's a ton of work that has gone behind the scenes to get Ben Shungu to this point. And to say that, oh, he's always been this guy, you're undermining all he's done to get to this point. Ben Shungu not only was a walk-on player, was not only a redshirt player, he was a defensive first player. He came on the scene, he was a defensive guy. He won Defensive Player of the Year in this conference in 2020. And now he can score at will and he can score from anywhere. His scoring total has gone up from like one point a game to four points a game to seven points a game to 10 points a game. And now this year, he's at he's at 15 points per game. His scoring ability has drastically increased. He's not the same guy that he's always been. If you want to tell me, hey, Ben Shungu's always been a hard worker, well, that that's fair. By saying, oh, Shungu's the same guy he's always been, no, he's not. He's never been this guy. This guy is a player of the year candidate. The previous version of Ben Shungu was defensive player of the year couldn't score. And before that, it was Ben Shungu couldn't even get on the court. So I, I get what you were trying to do. You're trying to give him a compliment and say he's always been good, but you're undermining just how hard the road has been to get here. Ben Shungu is a great player. And he's a great story. And he's a great all-around player. And he didn't. He has not always been this guy. Trey Bell Haynes, I feel like, came to UVM. And he was that dude right away. Trey Bell Haynes was awesome. I remember seeing Trey Bell Haynes as a freshman at UAlbany. I thought he was really, really good. And I was really impressed by him. Trey Bell Haynes came in instantly and made an impact. We knew he was going to be good right away. Ben Shunga, we had no idea. We had no idea. He's not the same player he's always been. He's an, a much more evolved form of the guy that we used to see. He is a great player, a great story, and uh, I, I just thought that that comment did him, a, did him a huge disservice because he is way above and beyond what he used to be. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, I got to say, I, I, I got to tell you the story. I went to a girls' high school basketball game on Saturday. CVU hosted my alma mater. They came up from New York. CVU took on my alma mater. I went to the game, and I got some stories to tell. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and 
Jazzwithgeorge.com. Ten minutes left in the show, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas, ESPN Radio, coming up today as well. show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. That's ProDriverCDL.com. Uh, also, the podcast, by the way, after the fact. So if you miss any of the show always you or ever, you can always subscribe to our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So Saturday afternoon, I went to a girls' high school basketball game. CVU took on my alma mater, Shenandoah, out of New York. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but Saturday afternoon was the first high school game I've been to since I moved to Vermont six years ago. I've been to a high school football game, but I've, this is the first high school basketball game I, I was at. Now, my alma mater won the game 51-36. to So they won by 15. But I have to say, I was really blown away by the quality of play from CBU. So let me kind of step back here. My high school is two and a half times as big as CBU. For as big as CBU is, my high school is two and a half times bigger. I went and looked up some numbers here. CBU had like 1,300 kids enrollment. My high school listed at 3,100. So two and a half times more. So with a size discrepancy that big, I was actually really expecting my alma mater to blow them out. They're just they're just they're that much bigger. I mean, it'd be like if CVU took on, uh, I don't know, if CVU took on a school that you know graduated a hundred kids. Like if, C- if CVU took on Enosburg, I'd expect to see CVU win the game by twenty five. I so I kind of expected my high school to blow them out, but it, it didn't happen. CVU was down just one at the half. They were every bit as good as my alma mater in the first half. Good movement without the ball, good technique, good shot-making, hit their free throws, good rebounding. It was a really, really well-played game, especially in that first half. Now, I know that my alma mater kind of, you know, ran away with it in the second half, but I thought CVU played awesome. And I know from what I was told that this CVU team isn't as good as CVU teams of the past, and it makes sense. Catherine Gilwee who started at CVU last year, is now at UVM as a starting point guard. When you lose that kind of player, you're you're probably not going to be as good. So I, I was really fun to go. It's a great environment. It's a great environment for a high school basketball game. There was actually a very, very raucous student section there. I made a comment to somebody. I felt like I was watching a state playoff game. And that was a Saturday afternoon non-league contest against a school that none of these people have ever heard of. And the gym was rocking. It was a great environment. So I highly recommend getting out to a CBU girls basketball game. It was it was awesome. It was electric. A couple other quick points. My alma mater has a player by the name of Jill Herter, who is the sister of Atlanta Hawks guard Kevin Herter, who also went to my high school. So the Hawks played the Celtics yesterday, and Kevin is burying shots against the Celtics. His sister plays for, you know, plays at my alma mater. So she hit two or three threes from way behind the arc, and I was kind of looking around the CVU crowd, and they were they were all like, "Damn, that's impressive." You don't see that every day, and I, I I so wanted to go up to them and be like, "Did you know her brother plays in the NBA?" I I really wanted to drop that knowledge on somebody. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I didn't want to be that guy who scans the crowd and then goes up to somebody and go, "Hey, her brother plays in the NBA. Did you know that?" I. I, I really wanted to, but I was like, you'll be you'll be a bigger tool than you already are if you go and do that. Um, so, yeah, I fought the urge there. And then what was funny is that after the game, I went up to 
my alma mater's head coach, and I was talking to him. And I wasn't sure he was going to know who I was. You know, you go, you know, look, I was in high school 15 years ago, so it was 15 years ago, and uh, you're wearing a mask, so it's not, you know, someone's face is not easily identifiable. But he was my teacher. So the, the, the alma mater, the, the coach at my alma mater was my business teacher my senior year of high school. I went up to him, and I had kind of given a hint on Twitter that I was going to come, so he saw it. So he might have, you know, that might have tipped him off. But he comes up to me and goes, hey, man, of course I'd remember you. And he recounted a project that I did for his class 15 years ago. He's like, oh, yeah, you did that project on Sprite. It was a business marketing class. I'm like, oh, my God, you really do. Not only do you remember me, you remember very, very specifically the project that I did. And I think we got an A on that, so that was awesome, by the way. But it was just it was a fun Saturday. You know, Saturday afternoon, high school hoops. It was really cool. Um, it was cool to see CVU, and I know about all the state championships, and I know about Coach Otley and how good they are and how good they've been. To see it up close and in person, that was really cool for, you know, just for my coverage and knowledge of this state sports. It was it was fun and weird to see my alma mater play, um, you know, and, you know, so many years after I last saw them play. You know, my brother graduated high school in 2014, so it's been been probably eight years since I saw my high school play in a basketball game and uh, had a chance to, to see him the other day. So it was cool all the way around. So uh, awesome stuff. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Thanks to everybody who tuned in on Facebook Live. Thanks to everybody who participated on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Also, we'll be back at it again tomorrow. We'll talk about UVM hoops. They're taking on Hartford tonight in about four minutes. Coach Brennan will stop by with us at 545 as he does every single Tuesday. So it was a guestless Monday. The full show podcast will be available in just a couple of minutes on the podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Jazz with George Thomas is next.